how to start. Well, you know, it's just writing. I mean, here's something important to remember about dialogue. Every word matters. No, it doesn't. They're modern. I want to go to this place that I think it needs to go to. The only thing that counts is what you see on the screen. I will write like four or five, six hours a day. And it will be a voice made of ink and rage. Okay, I'm, re I'm really glad you asked me that question. Welcome to Creative Principles. I'm your host, Brock Swinson. In this podcast interview series, I'll be speaking with writers, directors, actors, musicians, chefs, and various other types of creatives as we bridge the gap between creativity and productivity. Here we'll be discussing the habits, routines, and lessons that help promote a successful creative life. If this is your first time listening, make sure to subscribe on SoundCloud or iTunes. This episode is brought to you by IronJohnGear.com. In between your creative pursuits, make sure to check out Iron John Gear for top apparel, footwear, fitness items, outdoor supplies, sports gear, and much more. Visit the website for top deals on things like lanterns, backpacks, tents, snow clothing, bomber hats, sunglasses, fishing gear, and more. Visit ironjohngear.com today and save money on your next adventure. In addition to Iron John Gear, make sure to also check out Freelancer Class, where you can learn how to become a freelancer full-time or part-time. The online course will teach you how to make money online as a writer, marketer, designer, virtual assistant, accountant, or salesperson. Stay tuned after the show to learn how to get access for free to this $99 valued freelancer course, along with some other free items on our website, creativeprinciples.live. In the film Beasts of Burden, Sean Haggerty only has an hour to deliver his illegal cargo, an hour to reassure a drug cartel, a hitman, and the DEA that nothing is wrong, an hour to make sure his wife survived, and he must do all this from the cockpit of his Cessna. Swedish director Jesper Ganslund talks about his previous films, The Ape and Jimmy. In addition, he describes his influences for Beasts of Burden, the importance of having a score like the film Sicario, big concepts in a single location, how to properly withhold information from an audience for more attention, and how to create devices for uncertainty and suspense. I got to know the screenwriter and, uh, and uh, I liked the script because it was the first one in, in the sort of uh, American scripts that I've, that I've read that sort of related to a uh, a style and a storytelling that I've been uh, exploring before, so I, I I really thought that I could do something um, unique with it. Most of the film takes place in a single engine plane. It reminded me of some other movies. If anything, maybe comparisons to Buried or All Is Lost or the recent movie Lock, where there's a man in a claustrophobic space. What were some of the challenges with pacing or, or dialogue when you're trying to keep the audience entertained um, in this limited space? Yeah, I think that was that was sort of the uh, the welcomed uh, challenge of of uh, just sort of uh, uh, minimizing the, the the scope, if you will. And uh, the yeah, some some of the challenges was that you don't want to you don't want to sort of drown everyone in, in information. Uh, but you still want to have things to grab onto. But I think the important thing is to uh, keep, uh, uh, you know, 
to uh, to just sort of have something to uh, discover in that. Uh, and I think that was that was sort of the trick to sort of say enough that you wanted to discover more. Uh, yeah, and, uh, and that was something that we balanced a lot uh, with the script, even throughout the uh, the shoot. Um, to sort of rewrite and 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 uh, adjust, and uh, yeah, Dan was uh, Dan Radcliffe was really good with uh, um, just sort of uh, adopting to that as we went on. Um, it was a very intuitive process, I think. It seemed really important to kind of withhold some information from the audience. It has a greater impact later. I really like the the accidental calls from the insurance agency, for example. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Because that, at that point, you're sort of expecting one of the three callers that you've gotten to know, or the four four callers, if you will. And and at that point, it's sort of yeah, it, it, it takes us in a new direction, and it also sort of adds. Uh, I like it too. I, I, um, I thought that was that was sort of a later addition to the script, but I, I really thought it added added more than maybe another scene with tension. Uh, you can start over from that point. It seemed important to, you know, at first when realizing there's two different callers, you almost characterize the radio versus the the phone he has as two different people. How was it? How important was it to clarify these two outlets as different characters? Yeah, pretty much important. I mean, I spent actually some time listening to different sat phone signals and instead of the the sound quality of that, and then combine and and also listening to cell phone uh, rings and, and, and uh, you know, ring signals. And I thought it was, uh, it was, it was something that I was striving for to, to get it to, to sound just not, not what you expected. Like this guy could have any ring signal. What, what should it be? It should, in my mind, it should be something that sort of says something about who he is. <laughs> if he likes the ring ring thing, or is it a melody and, yeah, it was, it was pretty important because it's on the cell phone. His wife comes on to the sat phone, which is not where she's supposed to be. Uh, that means she's in the hands of of uh, the uh, the the cartel guys, and and that that should freak him out. But we should also know that that's the thing. Uh, so yeah, it's pretty important. I mean, you got to work with all these details when it's it's uh, this sort of a contained environment. I think. And I think it's kind of fun. How close was the script to the to the final movie? I mean, were were those non-plane scenes written in early, or did they kind of come later to help kind of balance things out? No, we we uh, the first version of the script didn't have those, uh, but we started we started adding that because I felt like the concept idea of just making one movie in the airplane uh, and never breaking that was. It felt like I've seen that concept idea in the, in the in the movies that you mentioned before. So I thought, why not sort of um, why not go against the concept when when whenever you sort of get comfortable in how it works. Uh, so that was sort of the intent of those was to sort of yeah we get gotten used to being in the airplane and and the and the challenges and the setup and then suddenly you cut to. A long scene at the DEA with um, Pablo Schreiber, where he's sort of eating cake and talk, and it, it just sort of stays there for a while. So you just don't know where the movie's going to take you at times. Uh, 
I think it, it was it was another device to sort of add uh, uncertainty and, and a little bit of suspense. I think there's a, a at the very beginning of the film. There's kind of like a, an epic uh, soundtrack with a title sequence. It kind of reminded me of like The Shining or maybe parts of Shutter Island. What were some of the cinematic influences for this film? I was uh, well. I, I I was inspired by Hitchcock. Uh, I was thinking about uh, Rear Window, uh, where sort of uh, uh, the main character has to see most of the things that's happening, and sometimes with the characters that he cares a lot about through the um, through the binoculars. And uh, and I thought this was sort of uh, related because uh, Sean, the pilot here, can just sort of hear what's going on on the phone and, and get information through um, iPad and stuff. It sort of, he can't really affect them without calling another person, and that creates attention and it creates enormous pressure on, on him. So I, I, that was one of the influences. And then uh, I was um, uh, talking with the composer, Tim Jones, about... Uh, you know, having having some kind of Hitchcock um, and Bernard Herrmann uh, reference in the in the music, and we we sort of listened to Vertigo and 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 also talked about um, the great and late Yuan Yuan Song uh, and his Sicario score. I, I guess it was sort of a it, 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 those were the inspirations. For the score and, and and cinematically, I think Rear Window was something I could uh, do bounce off of, sort of. Um, but as well, a, a film that I made earlier called The Ape, uh, which is also about one character and under a lot of pressure, and it keeps adding. And yeah, Dog Day Afternoon was also something I was thinking about. Set in an airplane now. Whenever I see a trailer like this, I always at first I assume that it's possibly meant to save some money on the budget as far as a production point of view. But there's a pretty epic ending to this film. Was there? Was it purposely meant to kind of split things up with, or was it still challenging? And also, did it? Was it you were able to shoot it quicker because it's mostly in one spot? This has kind of a long answer, but uh, it was actually very. The most challenging thing was to do the ending. Uh, there was an amazing uh, location that I really wanted to shoot in, uh, in Savannah, Georgia. And uh, it was really tricky because it was basically a huge mud pit with its own ecosystem. And we suddenly had to upscale the whole production to to another level. And uh, it was very challenging. And we, we were actually down there for a number of days uh, or nights and um, and, uh, yeah, I think my intention was to sort of, when you've been inside for that long and then it's sort of, uh, unexpectedly cut to, to, to other characters in the ground, uh, but it's not very big and then go out with sort of a larger scope. Um, I thought that was, a that was a neat thing to do. So it was intentional in that sense. You mentioned um, Daniel Radcliffe's portrayals. Since he kind of left the Harry Potter franchise, he's really taken on some more challenging films. How did he first get involved with this project? He was approached by the, with the script, I think, uh, by some agents 
or so. But uh, I think it was when he saw uh, the, the film that I made before that I mentioned, The Ape, that he was interested in, as far as he told me at least, uh, he was interested in in, in sort of uh, doing this project and hearing what, what, what I had to, what the vision was for it. So we we kind of talked on, we, we had a long talk on on Skype uh, and basically just decided that this is this is something that we should do. Uh, very intuitive, and I, I really respect his uh, braveness of sort of uh, connecting some dots and sort of script, director, and production, and sort of, yeah, let's do this, and not uh, sort of... Uh, Fishing around, and it, it, you can you can prolong things and whatever. But he he just went for it, and I I, think I I have a tremendous amount of respect for that. And you also have another film called Jimmy that shot through the eyes or the viewpoint of a child. Do, do you see these non-traditional stories as a challenge for yourself, or are you just trying to like push the limits and boundaries of typical cinema? Well, I'd say that it's it's both. I mean. I think uh, filmmaking is is always interesting when you're trying to explore something and sort of trying to uh, put yourself and the audience uh, in in a different world in in the in the perspective of of uh, someone or, or or a group that you don't really you don't really know. It could be sci-fi or it could be you know naturalistic. Uh, drama uh but it's if it's well done i think that's sort of uh it can be really magical with cinema like that and so it's also about i think um i'm kind of on a path where i where i want to work with narrative that sort of uh, makes you connect emotionally even if it's sort of it could be uh, empathy or uh, sympathy or anxiety or stress in in the in, in the case of Beast of Burden, uh, but I want that to sort of drive the narrative instead of maybe plot. Plot could come second sometimes. Uh, I think there's value in that. So you've made the the change from um, you were a Swedish director, now you're directing at movies in America or possibly going forward with that. Was it important for you? I know you've been an actor and a writer before. Was it important for you to find a script versus writing your own script for an American audience? Well, I think it's, I mean, I, I would have liked to write something uh, that I could make as, as an American film, and I, I, I still like to do that. But it's something how this came together with sort of script that, was you know kind of newly written and and uh me coming from my angle of sort of this this reminded me of some of the um the uh, narrative tools or sort of expressions that i've i've been uh, working with before and and daniel radcliffe uh just sort of embracing that so i i think that was a really good thing but uh in the future yeah i think I think it would be really interesting to sort of write, write and direct uh, English-speaking uh, movie. Yeah. Did you find any major differences in the way you might read a script versus writing a script? Do you do you still see the scenes the same way? Or are you kind of do you feel like you need to add scenes here and there or add dialogue? 
I think I yeah I needed to add things, and you you got to sort of you got to sort of adopt uh, the story and the characters and the script, and sort of if I don't understand what they're saying, I can't really instruct anybody to say it. Uh, so that's a but this was a this was kind of a tight script, so I like that. But it I I think I wanted to add um, you know some. Some maybe more personal stuff that that sort of made me even identify more, and I think uh, in this case it was sort of that they uh, most of the things where they were the the, the um, Daniel Radcliffe and Grace Gummer's characters when they are uh, they're trying to start a family and have a child and and sort of that that sort of longing to build a family was something that I wanted to enhance and. I think that helped me to sort of understand why he's doing what he's doing because it's not really about sort of getting the money or getting uh, the drugs to to a certain point. It's it's about getting that so they would be able to, you know, get her health care and 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 then uh, eventually start a family. Uh, so, so I think that was sort of uh, that's an example of that. I I, I guess sort of how going into but it's it's my first time uh taking someone else's script and making a a, a film about it uh it, it's just very different uh you're also able to sort of uh be more uh i guess you know a little rougher on it and you can sort of go in and say this is too long and when you write it yourself it's kind of hard to to do that at times, you you got to have some help with that, uh, I think. Well, thank you so much for your time, and congrats on the film. Is there anything else you want to share we haven't already discussed? No. Uh, I mean, uh, I, I'm I'm happy that that all these uh, these great uh, great actors and, and collaborators uh, invested so much and and uh, put put a lot of trust in me, and I, I thought that was uh, um, I, I really take that to heart. Uh, from Daniel Radcliffe and Grace Gummer and Pablo Schreiber and and so on. Um, yeah, it was a, it was a great short ride. Thank you so much for tuning into the show. Before you leave, don't forget to sign up for the weekly newsletter. We also get free access to the freelancer course, Master the Freelancer Mindset. This system will teach you exactly how to find clients online, which includes step one, the psychology of the mindset. Step two how to create a killer profile, and step three, how to find quality clients. This online course is valued at $99. It can be yours for free. In addition to the free course, you'll get access to the ebook How Hollywood Screenwriters Annihilate Writer's Block. This contains advice from Aaron Sorkin, Carrie Fukunaga, and William Monahan. You can find all of this and more on creativeprinciples.live. Visit the website for new interviews, articles, and the daily blog. That's creativeprinciples.live.